1: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode three sixty eight of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is the morning of Wednesday, December 15th, 2021, and Duke men's basketball is back from its exam break in a big way. We will cover all of that, plus John Shire gets, and I say in the form of DJ Khaled, another one in the class of 2022. And we will also preview the rest of the week for the Duke Blue Devils. But before we do that, I'm Donald Wine. I'm your host for this episode. I'm here in D.C. Uh, For now, I'm actually headed to Boston this weekend, our friend, our resident of Boston, Sam, is not able to join us for this episode, but I got Jason Evans with me.
2: Jason, how are you doing this morning? Hey, the Blue Devils are playing again. I'm doing great. It's fun to watch basketball. Yeah, it's, it's been a couple of weeks since we were able
1: to recap a game, but we should just go ahead and get right into it. We are here for that. We will start with the big win last night for Duke. They returned from a two-week exam break against South Carolina State, and they returned in a huge way, as I mentioned. They were missing Theo John, who did not play due due to a back injury, but it really didn't matter. Duke beat the pay stubs of South Carolina State. It was 103-62 to (laughs) was the final score. Uh, As always, what we like to do is we want to begin with our headline, our brief summary of what we witnessed last
2: night. So, Jason, what is your headline? So, my headline from this game uh, is pretty simple. Straight A's. Duke exits exam break with blowout win. By the way, saying exits... Exits exam break <laughs> is really hard. You were really, that when I was writing it, but your headlines, it, wow,
1: <laughs> your headlines are always about the alliteration and the tongue twisters. Um, <laughs> I like to make sure that I can read mine. Um, so my headline is Blue Don't Rust in Duke Destruction of South Carolina State. Pretty simple.
2: Um, yeah, we and we both we both sort of took the same tack, which is we expected um, th- this team to show show to show the fact that it hadn't played yet in the month of December. And, and for the most part, they didn't. I mean, that's fair to assume that because literally every
1: time we have an exam break, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what happens. It doesn't <laughs> matter who we're playing. And, you know, sometimes, Jason, if you recall in p- previous years, sometimes it is the exam break. We come back with a game against an ACC opponent. So we'll talk about some of that in the bad things that, you know, could come back to haunt us if we are not careful. But I want to start with the good. Uh, and there was plenty of good last night. If you have 103 to 62 victory, you have a lot of good to talk about. So what do you want to start with, Jason? I, I, I think there's a direction I think you want to go in. We've
2: talked about it in previous episodes, and I think we showed it. We saw some of it last night. Exactly. My, my good starts with the kicks. and And if you listen to the last episode, we spent a good 20 plus minutes like 48 hours ago. <laughs> talking about this team looking for open threes and looking to kick the ball when they drove it, looking for the extra pass for the high percentage shot. Um, uh, it, it was what Nolan Smith said the team was working on over the break. It's what you and me and Sam all discussed. And we all agreed it was a key step in Duke, taking a step forward as a basketball team. And they immediately responded and, and did a really nice job of that. Duke hits 15 of 27, three pointers Mostly, I think, because, partially because they were hot, but mostly because I thought they looked for the right time to be taking threes. And they, they, they were able to kick the ball well and find those open shots. And I think the three-point shooting was something that I want to talk about, too, which is why
1: I'm glad you led with this. They were eight for 11 in the first half. And, you know, they were, I mean, it seemed like every single ball was going in. Not only was it great because, like you said, Jason, they were looking for the open man and finding it. But guys were gaining confidence by knocking down open jumpers, which we haven't seen a lot from the from the perimeter so far this year. In the second half, I, I believe that the percentage was a little bit skewed. It was 7 for 16 in the second half. I think that was skewed by you know a lot of the bench players playing the majority of the second half, it felt like. So uh, those were guys trying to get up shots who haven't got up a lot of shots this year. So right. I, I can... I can understand seven for 16, even, even still seven for 16 and one half is still better than most outputs
2: we've had all year. Uh, look, I, I saw among the starters, among the guys who who are going to play in in every competitive game, Trevor Keels was much more under control in this game than he has been lately. Um, it wasn't just about the three pointers. He was hitting his threes, but he was creating threes for other guys. Uh, I, I thought, you know, Paula Bancaro still took a few low percentage jumpers. I, um, but, but this was an improved offensive performance, not just because they comfortably got to 100-plus points, but because they were taking the kind of shots that this Duke team should be taking. Now, look, part of that is we were playing a team that was woefully outclassed by Duke. I mean, we said in the preview this is one of the worst teams in Division one. Um, and and there's little question, I think, that Duke probably plays more competitive scrimmages against its second team. Than what it, than you know the, the competition we had in this game. No, no fault to South Carolina State. Someone's got to be one of the worst teams in Division One, and they're one of them. Um, but, but look, Duke raised its three point percentage on the season from thirty two percent to thirty six percent as a team. And and there's actually a big difference in those numbers. You, you tell me that this team is going to hit thirty six percent of its threes the rest of the year, and I think they're cutting down at least some nets in March. That's just a huge, huge key for them. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to say about the way the offense ran in the post postgame um, uh, interview with the press, Coach Case said that they'd been working on in practice. One of the things they've been working on is some new sets to run in the half court. They didn't use any of them against South Carolina State. They, they didn't need to um, because it was such a fast game. He said, uh, I, you know, it was, it was such a fast pace that they didn't need to run like half court sets. But it's something we now have in our back pocket for down the road. He he said he prefers, I know he prefers more freelancing on offense. Um, but this team does a poor job of moving without the ball, Coach Case said. And and so they're putting in these plays that force the guys to move a bit more. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting development. It's not something we saw in this game, but it's part of what this game I think is going to lead to and part of what Duke is building on. And by the way, really quick, speaking of being a fast game, Coach Case said, you know, it was really fast-paced. I wanted to note really quick. This was a 79-possession game. We said coming in that South Carolina State plays at a fast pace, and Duke doesn't mind that at all. 79 possessions is a lot. That matches the Gonzaga game for the most possessions we've had in the game this year. And, and let's not forget, in this game, it was, it was a laugher down the stretch, and, and both teams slowed up a little bit. Duke was milking the clock some, as you're supposed to. Um, this would have easily been an 80-plus possession game if it had been a more normal like final five minutes or so. I think that's a really, you know, that is just really, really fast, um, and, and it was fun for fans to watch. Jason,
1: you mentioned that they played in control, and I thought that was very crucial to the three-point shooting, but it also ties into the next thing I want to talk, to, uh, talk about was the defense. Our defense was spectacular, I thought, last night. You know, they held South Carolina State to 32.5% shooting. Of course, we keep talking about how uh, bad that, that South Carolina State is, but you still want to... Keep bad teams in the gutter when it comes to their shooting. 32.5% from the floor is a remarkable stat. They had nine blocks last night, 11 steals. They forced 17 turnovers. And what I think one of the most crucial stats tonight, the they only fouled South Carolina State nine times. The starters were responsible for only two of them. So really, it was the bench players in garbage time that was getting a lot of those uh, fouls down the stretch. So I'm really happy with that. Not fouling the other teams, they didn't go to the foul line, and we were able to keep them
2: uh, keep them off of the scoreboard because they were missing a lot of shots. And Donald, coming into the game, one of the things we noted about South Carolina State was that they are a team that that does a really good job of of drawing fouls. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, for us to to have avoided that is a sign, like you say, of of strong defense by Duke and and discipline. Which, uh, which is important when you're playing a team like this. that's going to play at a really frenetic pace. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Let's go back
1: to Duke because there's one guy we have to talk about, uh, a guy who came off the bench and did once
2: again, had a spectacular performance. His name is AJ Griffin. Oh, yeah. Uh, no question about it. He's, he's in my good column for this game for sure. Um, I, I, I thought, uh, you know, obviously it's great for, to see him get playing time because that's been something that AJ struggled with a bit lately. Part of that is the opponent. Part of that is the, f- the score. Um, But part of that is, uh, you know, A.J. playing pretty nicely once again. You know, by the way, I think he's in a real battle with uh, with Joey Baker for the best outside shooter on the team. And and I know in the in the stats game, you have A.J. Griffin to right. You have A.J. to win the the percentage shooting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've got Joey and and we're locked in a pretty tight battle right now. Uh, A.J. is at forty seven point four percent on the season on his threes. Really impressive, almost hitting 50% of his threes. Joey Baker's at 44.8, 47.4 to 44.8. Um, now, it's worth noting, Joey has taken 29 three-pointers, while well, AJ's only taken 19. So maybe there's some sample size stuff affecting AJ's numbers. You know, we don't know. And, and he had one wild That's fine one with today. Me.
1: If I'm going to win that stat, I'm just fine. <laughs>
2: Well, wait, he had one wild one today with the shot clock running down that went in late in the game. And he was afterwards, he was smiling about it. If that one misses instead of makes rather than leading the team, Joey Baker would be the team leader. He'd go from uh, AJ would go from 47% down to 42%. But, you know, aside from his outside shot, I thought he did a nice job of being involved in other ways. He had four assists, which is good for him, including he had the pass to Michael Savarino that put Duke over the 100 point mark. Uh, He blocked a couple shots. I I still think – I think this is the thing that's holding AJ back the most. I I don't know if you noticed this. He was still too easy to go around on defense. His man beats him too often on defense. His D's got to get better. He's got – but, you know, he did seem a little more connected to the regulars than he does regular players than he did in most games. And – you know, again, this was a game where he scored a lot in a meaningless game. He's sort of become an expert at that, <laughs> uh, but he needs the confidence of this kind of an output, this kind of a game to work his way earlier into the rotation. So that, uh, like I've been saying all season, I, I want to see AJ scoring against teams where his scoring matters. And, and frankly, you know, it- in a game that you win like this, it didn't matter. Well, I, I will, I will push back slightly. And ride for my man,
1: AJ, on this point, I think the reason why the defense hasn't quite come along is because of that knee injury that he sustained uh, early in the preseason and also just the recovery from his other knee surgeries. Because that lateral quickens, as you know, is really important on defense, not as much important on offense. And that's going to be the thing that he just needs to keep building confidence on. I think he'll come around when it comes to that as his knee continues to get stronger and he continues to get more confidence using it. But I thought he had a great performance on, on the offensive end last night. And, and really, it doesn't matter who we're playing 17 points by AJ Griffin is what we want to see. And frankly, what some of us were expecting to see more games than not. And so I'd like to see him getting that confidence of seeing the ball go through the hoop in more than a myriad of ways and allowing him to use that confidence going forward. So, Jason, you did mention another one that I want to talk about. The walk-ons. The walk-on game almost ended last night. Very quickly for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had, in the span of about 20 seconds, we had a Michael Saverino 3, followed by a Keenan Worthington put-back dunk that literally sent... I mean, I don't know if you did saw... Did you see two- Mark Williams? Did you see Mark, Mark- Williams in that put-back Forget <laughs> that. Did you, see, did you see the video that Duke Blue Planet put out this morning on Instagram? It literally chronicles them going nuts on the sideline. There's a great picture of all of them going nuts on the sideline, including Mark Williams. Mark Williams is saying, yo, you got to give him the camera. And Keenan Worthington's like, I don't know what to do with this camera. So he has the camera with the selfie stick. They go, just <laughs> hold it up and run. So he goes, okay. And he's running, run, he'll run into. It. So if you go to Duke basketball's Twitter, uh, you will see that video. And also just all of them, the entire team was, you know, mobbed him after the game. Uh, were were commending him in a locker room like Keenan Worthington was the star of the show
2: uh, for that putback dunk. Well, and, 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 you know, those guys put in all the time, all the effort in practice and, uh, and they don't get many chances to even appear in games and, and put, you know, anything in, uh, in the stat book uh, for, for him to get a highlight like that. Cause that, I mean, like that's a, it was a vicious yam that, that Mm -hmm. Keenan Worthington laid down on there. And I think the reason you saw, you know, Mark Williams, guys like that going crazy, they're the ones who battle against him in practice every day. And and they're just so thrilled that he gets a, a moment like that. And it's really great. I, you know, I did have one more good, you know, individual thing that I wanted to mention. We haven't said this guy's name yet. And I, I thought he had far and away his best game in a Duke uniform, and that's Bates Jones. Um, and uh, the reality is, we're probably not going to see a lot more from Bates the rest of this year, but uh, that kid's a, he's just not athletic enough. That's just the simple reality. Um, but that kid is a really nifty passer from the high post and from the low post. He had five assists in 15 minutes. Um, uh, he blocked, uh, he blocked a couple shots. He hit a three. I, I, I like his game and I'm sure he is providing a ton of help and practices I, again like I said I don't know that we're going to see Bates Jones you know in anything but absolute blowouts this year um, and I'm not saying we necessarily should but but Duke plays Syracuse and the key when you play Syracuse is get the ball to the middle of that zone and then shred the zone with good passing I, I gotta tell you Donald I don't think there's anyone on this team who's better suited to catch that ball in the high post against the Syracuse zone and then cause problems for them than Bates Jones. I don't know that we're going to see it. Like I said, I'm not sure Bates is ever going to play in a, in a truly competitive game uh, unless there are crazy injuries or, you know, something like that. Uh, but I could see it against Syracuse. I, I, the, the, the way he has played, and he's done this in multiple games now. It wasn't just last night, his ability to find the open man, to make the extra pass to make the defense adjust and then make the defense pay against a zone, especially is really special. So I, I won't be shy. This, this, this to me was the moment where I said Bates can contribute against a team like Syracuse and, and we'll see if it happens, you know, just yeah. mark it down. If it happens, I, I called it first.
1: Look, I mean, you want a guy who's ready when their number is called and Bates was ready last night, and that's what you want from a guy. And it's not like he hasn't had experience against top level talent. I mean, he did not play at a, a P five school, but he played P five schools when he was uh, at Davidson was in college yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Davidson. So he's he's gonna have that experience. He's not gonna be you know blinded by the lights or, or just deer in headlights or anything like that. He's going to be a guy that can step up and contribute. So hopefully, he will continue to do that. The final thing I did want to mention before we move on to the bad is the free throw shooting. We were 22 for 24, which means two things. One, we were getting our way to the line. You don't get to, I mean, getting to the line 24 times is very, very good, but we were also making our free throws, which is something that I've talked about all season is going to be uh, one of the things that could be our Achilles heel uh, down the stretch. If we can't make free throws because guys are going to foul us. People were going to the free throw line. They were making their free throws. We were getting, you know, easy points that way. You you can't, you have to just keep doing that 90%. I said 75% was good. We're doing 90%. We ain't going to shoot
2: 90 every day, my friend.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. But, but I'll, you know, I'll gladly take 90%. I'll uh, You know, I'll, I'll always take 100. I'll always take 90. I'll even take 80 and 75. But last night, a very, very good output from the free throw line by the Blue Devils. I think we've exhausted the good. We want to shift to the bad. Uh, so there are a couple of things that we do think we should improve on. And Jason, I'm going to take the liberty and go first in this category. I'm going to start with turnovers Uh, turnovers. I'm pretty sure this was our worst game of the season when it comes to turnovers. We had 16. Now I I will say a lot of that was due to this game just being over from the under eight timeout in the first half. And you know, a lot of guys playing that don't normally play, Yeah,
2: but a lot of those turnovers came early. They
1: did. There were turnovers that came early, but I don't think we had 10 before the under eight timeout. There was a lot of garbage plays in the second half where it, it felt like guys were just trying stuff. Right. And, when you're on the playground, you try stuff, sometimes you throw the ball away, you throw the ball the other team. That was happening. Uh, but I do think that we were doing so well with turnovers this year, and I want that to continue. I will say that South Carolina State had 12 steals. So, sloppy game or not, you have to give them credit for that. Uh, but that also means for us, we got to tighten that up because we can't have anyone getting 12 steals on us in a game. That will definitely cost us down the stretch in an ACC game if we let that happen.
2: Well, and regarding the turnovers, I look, coming in this game, when we were talking about what Duke needed to work on and what they didn't need to work on, things like that, uh, you know, I noted that Duke was one of the best teams in the country at holding on to the ball at not committing turnovers. Um, and, and the thing that bothered me was, you, know, you talked about the steals, but to me, there were a lot of ugly, kind of careless plays by Duke last night. I'm sure some of that was the exam break rust. I, I don't doubt that one bit. You know, we need to be more careful about that. And yeah, some of it was late, but a lot of it was early. Like I said, I I noted at one point we had five turnovers um, at at like the 12 minute mark of the first half. So so that's we just got to get that under control. Not a huge thing, but. um, And
1: like the last few games, the last few games, we've been averaging like, I think, eight or nine turnovers in an entire game. So, yeah, we had been we had been excruciatingly good at taking care of the basketball until last night
0: yeah
2: yeah i I look hey so i'm not sure there's all that much bad you're gonna have in a game where you lead 60 to 27 at the half (laughs) but but there are other things to talk about in addition to the turnovers uh the rebounding um bothered me it wasn't terrible it wasn't disastrous but duke was out rebounding this game 42 to 39 we only got six offensive board and South Carolina State had 21. I want to repeat that they had 21 offensive rebounds. Now, in terms of Duke's offensive rebounding, I'm not as concerned about that because part of that was we were shooting pretty well. Um, and and in terms of South Carolina State getting 21 offensive rebounds, I think it's worth noting that a lot of those they they were taking some wild shots, and wild shots tend to produce strange rebounds. You know, like bad threes that that clang and and the ball goes. Far away, and it doesn't matter that you've got good rebounding position because that ball's going where it wants to go, and who knows going to pick it up. But, um, I, I was bothered by the rebounding, and it sort of plays into uh the the post. I'm not going to say that, that Duke didn't play well in the post, but eh, you know, in a game that we won by 40, the points in the paint were, were pretty much even. We only won points in the paint 36 to 34. Again, Duke wins this game by 40 points, only won points in the paint by two points. Um, we did not dominate with our size in nearly the way I would have expected. I mean, you pointed out we had a lot of block shots and that's good, but um, it, it wasn't quite the game that I sort of thought we would get from, from Paulo and, and Mark, you know, maybe part of that was missing Theo John. Um, and I should note in, in the post game, coach K said that they were um, that we were really focused on, on running. And there were several times that we started running before we got the rebound <laughs> <laughs> which allowed them to get the rebound instead. And that's something that happens when a team's like so intent on, you know, like, let's get out there and, and really pick up the pace in this game. Um, sometimes you're like, Oh wait, we, we left the ball back there behind us. <laughs> and I think that happened to Duke, you know, a couple times. Yeah, that happens quite a bit. I mean, you see that in
1: football too, where the, where the right receiver starts thinking about the touchdown before he actually catches the ball. Cause he sees how open it is. It's a basketball the time, especially when you see that, Oh man, there's no one between me and the basket. And then all of a sudden you realize I need the ball to put the ball in the basket and you turn around, the ball's going into your basket and you realize you just blew a, a great opportunity. So uh, yeah, those are a little, I, I think sloppy, I think is the way to describe that, right? The rebounding, the turnovers, I think was just a, it's just a sloppy affair, um, which you kind of expect coming back from a two week break of any kind, much less the exam break where uh, there's not a lot of practice going on. Jason, I want to go back to you because I think, you know, we, we have talked about some players in the good. There's one guy who, probably had their first mediocre game of the season
2: yeah I, look I, we, we've been praising this guy all year if you asked us today right now who's the acc player of the year who's been duke's mvp i think all three of us would say wendell moore um he's he's clearly he he's in the running for all-american at this point um but wendell moore had a really pedestrian game probably his first really pedestrian pedestrian game of the season uh, Eleven points, two rebounds, zero assists, and two turnovers. Uh, it was it was unlike Wendell. It's it's not what we've seen from him at all all year. Uh, and I think it's really probably just one game. But I'm going to be fair, and I'm going to you know I'm going to call him out. I've been we've been praising him left and right um, when he has a game like this. Uh, we 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 need to to let it be said. And look, it, it is entirely possible that he was taking a little bit of a subservient role to allow some other guys to do a little bit more in this game. Um, you know, no one knows better than Wendell on this team uh, that, you know, sometimes you step back so others can step forward. He, he is a team leader. He is the team leader and and I'm perfectly fine with it. But, you know, obviously if this was a more competitive opponent, that could have been disastrous for Duke. If, if Duke gets two rebounds, zero assists from Wendell Moore on a regular basis, this team will not be doing very much when it comes to the postseason. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but again, it was just one game. I'm not that worried about it. And then the other individual thing I wanted to mention, this isn't really a bad, but it's just sort of to note it. Um, uh, Theo John obviously did not play. Uh, that's bad. I, I want Theo to play. Uh, he has become a, a huge part of our rotation. Um, Coach K on the post game said that there's nothing on x-rays to be concerned about. It's just that Theo's back was a little bit tight um he uh coach k described theo as day to day and it doesn't sound like it's something that'll be a lingering problem in the acc season it's possible it will impact i mean duke's playing you know three games in you know what is it, five six days something like that mm-hmm. um it's possible it, it will uh, force him to miss all of those games i think possibly backs can take a while to heal but mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it doesn't look like it's something that that's going to be a lingering problem for him and, and and that's good news so why am i talking about here in the bad i don't know <laughs> it's bad because we love Theo john and we
1: want to see him play and in a game like last night you know he would have been a monster on the glass and just you know cleaning up a bunch of points but i agree with you i it, backs are fickle uh i, I think every that's the one thing that everyone in the world can relate to right like i have back pain
2: everyone has back pain at some point uh so oh my gosh go so uh, on on uh saturday yeah it was on saturday I was on my exercise cycle. It was um, the weather wasn't quite conducive for me to go out and ride my bike. And I got off and I don't know why, but I was like, oh, my back's a little stiff. That's sort of strange. maybe it was the hunching over or something like that. Eh." I didn't think anything of it. I, I cooled off a little bit. I then took a shower by the time my shower was done. My back was on fire. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? It has, like I said, backs linger. (laughs) I I, have been in pain, like using a heating pad, having to lay down every few hours, for for the past four days. Um, it's getting better. I'm I, you know, I would say I'm I'm 90% at this point. But for a couple of days there, I was like, I am not doing anything. Like I, you know, I could barely sit down at the table to, to have a meal. Backs can be bad. Oh yeah. I, I've had some back injuries. And the funny thing is sometimes,
1: like you said, they linger and sometimes you're like, there's one day where you're like, I gotta get I, I can't get out of bed. I just I, I just want to cut my back off because it that hurts that much. And then like hours later, Snap, it's gone. And you're like, oh, it's like, it's like your back was never hurt. And so backs are fickle. We hope Theo John is okay. Uh, and, and I think we'll see him sooner rather than later. But don't be surprised if he has to miss a game or two uh, this week uh, over the rest of the week. Speaking of which, we do have two games coming up this week. We will preview that after the break. But before we get to the break, I want to shift gears to recruiting. Because as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, John Stryer has gotten another one. In the class of 2022, Christian Reeves. That's it's crazy, isn't, isn't it? <laughs> it's just it's just insane. Christian Reeves, seven-one high school senior from Concord, North Carolina, was the latest to commit to Duke last night. His commitment came, you probably missed it because it literally came right about when the Duke South Carolina State was tipping off. Uh, Reeves is a three star recruit, plays at the Herald Oak Hill Academy, one of the top high schools in the entire country, mainly recruited by fellow alum Nolan Smith, who also went to Oak Hill. But Shire has been the closer and was able to add yet another guy to what is the number one recruiting class of the country. So, Jason, a resident expert on recruiting, why don't you tell us about Christian Reeves and just what this overall commitment means for Duke? Is With this big class, we now have to start talking about the, the redshirt word. Is this a redshirt candidate for next year?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian Reeves, uh, I, the, the word is that he's going to redshirt his freshman year. Um, there, was, uh, there was someone on Twitter who – who commented and said, uh, you know, I'm hearing that Christian Reeves is going to redshirt as a freshman. And Christian Reeves liked that post. (laughs) So that's a pretty good indication that he he agrees that he needs uh, plenty of time to work on his game and develop. Um, He will uh, have four years of eligibility after redshirting. So he will be at Duke until 2027. (laughs) It seems crazy that here we are talking about that, but that's just the way, you know, the calendar works with a, with a kid like this. Um, Like you said, seven, one center plays for Oak Hill. I, I want to really quick, before I talk about Christian Reeves, I do want to mention Oak Hill basketball alumni. Folks, if you don't pay attention to high school basketball to know how truly, truly elite Oak Hill is, here's some of the alumni. Just It's just a sampling. Jerry Stackhouse, everybody. Carmelo Anthony, Cole Anthony, Dukies, William Avery, Quinn Cook, Nolan Smith. How about Ty Lawson, Rajon Rondo? I could go on and on. I, I believe Kevin Durant played there before he, he moved on to Montverde or someplace like that. I mean, like Oak Hill is the bomb and, and, and he and yeah. current current as of
1: right now, 2023 recruit Caleb Foster,
2: Caleb Foster. Exactly. I was you literally stole the words from my mouth. I was about to mention Caleb Foster. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to get into it, by the way, but I just want folks to know because it is now really, really out there. There's there's a lot of talk that Caleb Foster may reclassify and come to Duke. Um, next year as opposed to 2023. He is a class of 2023 recruit. He may come in 2022. When that happens, I don't want any of you to be surprised. We'll deal with it more on this podcast when and if it does happen. But that talk, that rumor has been out there for a little while. Uh, it, it is worth noting that Christian Reeves, now, let's now talk about the guy who who actually committed to Duke because <laughs> um, he, he's worth mentioning. Um, he, he, By the way, he committed because uh, yesterday, because it was his birthday, it's also his mother's birthday, December fourteenth, and he had always planned he wanted to announce on December fourteenth. Duke only officially offered him on Monday night, <laughs> and he kept it quiet because as soon as they offered him, he said, "Yep, I'm coming." Like he knew he wanted to be a Duke, and he uh, there's a great story he told. He grew up as a North Carolina fan. He was a Tar Heel, and his freshman year of high school at Oak Hill, by the way, his freshman year at Oak Hill. He went to a Duke game in Cameron, and he walked out of that game, and he's like, if Duke wants me, I'm coming. He was like, the Cameron crazies, this atmosphere, what this is, completely sold him, and he has been waiting for four years to get an offer from Duke, and it finally came on Monday, and so on Tuesday, he was able to announce. uh, Duke, by the way, beats out South Carolina, Minnesota, and Creighton for him. As you mentioned, Christian Reeves is not a huge high-profile recruit. He's not the kind of guy who's expected to have an immediate impact at Duke. That's why he's going to redshirt. That's why he's going to take his time. He's already about 230 pounds. Um, He is a good athlete, but this is a guy who's got to work on getting stronger. He's got to work on moving that weight to the right places on his body. He's got to work on, I'm not saying he's fat. He's not fat, but he's got some body fat. He's got to work on converting that fat into muscle so he doesn't get pushed around. Um, he's nowhere close to being polished on offense, not at all. At this point, he's really just a seven, one rim protector and a dunker, but Duke has five years to work with him. Um, and, and I watched some film on him and he's a pretty decent rebounder. He he knows how to go after the ball and get the ball. Um, and the bottom line is he's got size. You can't teach seven, one. There are precious few guys as big as him who've come through the Duke program. Very, very, very few of them. And uh, and I'm thrilled that Duke is going to have a what we call a developmental recruit. We have not had many of those. Um, and, you know, this is a kid who it's possible. He's never more than much of a practice player, but it's possible that in a couple of years, this kid is a really solid Piece on this Duke team, you know, after spending a few years working with the coaches, working with the weight training, you know, strength and conditioning guys, and that he really develops into something good for Duke. And, and it's, it's great that John Shire is continuing to find holes to plug. Duke has 13 scholarships they can use. Um, a- admittedly, we, we tend to really only use eight or nine guys at the most. Having a couple guys deeper on that scholarship bench who can play at some point down the road is part of developing a successful program in in the modern college basketball.
1: Man, we are going to have some sequoias on this team next year. I mean, we have Derek Lively, 7-1. Christian Reeves is 7-1. Kyle Filipowski, 6-11. Mark Williams, if he stays, is 7-1. Stanley Borden is sitting at the end of the bench. He's 7-1. Like, we could literally throw a, a starting five of trees above seven feet (laughs) onto the floor if we wanted to that's just mind-boggling to me especially when you consider jason like you said we haven't had that many players over seven foot come to duke and play like at all like there's just not that many in the world to do so so for us to have i mean and kyle filipowski said on this podcast he said he's still growing so Conceivably, he's going to be seven feet by the time he gets to school. We literally could have five guys over seven feet on a roster. That is unfathomable to me.
2: And and the great part about that is practice. Um, if you are a guy, you know, if you're Derek Lively next year and you're seven feet, you're, uh, on most teams, There would there wouldn't be that many guys you could practice against. Maybe there'd be one, but... It's nice to see different looks. It's nice to have to work on different things against different kinds of players at Duke over the next several years. It is abundantly clear that if you're a big man, you're going to have different looks. You're going to have different guys you can go against who can simulate what it will be like playing against other, you know, top tier, tall guys. Um, and, and, and you can't underrate how important practice is. Absolutely. And, and just to close out on Christian Reeves, I, I did a little bit, uh, of research on him
1: as well. He does have quite a soft touch around the rim. And that's something that I think you can, can work on. I think as yeah. you said, he has to work on working through contact. And I think that's the next step for him around the rim is to get stronger so that he can fight through that contact and, and have that soft touch. Cause the soft touch again, is something that is very hard to teach to a seven foot one dude. Uh, so the fact that he already has one is very good. We just have to work on the
2: other things that I think, the great thing is he'll have a chance to work on that next season. I mean, look, this is a guy who's ranked like in the two fifties, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely atypical for a Duke recruit. Uh, you know, Jordan Goldwire uh, was, was sort of, sort of a similar kind of recruit and, and developed into a, a very, uh, you know, a big time contributor for Duke, uh, which was quite surprising, but we haven't recruited many guys like this, but I'll tell you, when I look at, at, you know, the tape on him, admittedly it's going to be highlights and such, but still what I see on film, I'm sort of like, why is he two fifty? I mean, this feels like I'm not saying he should be a top 100 recruit. No way. But if you told me this guy was, you know, 150s or so, and it would only take him one or two years to develop into a, a serviceable player, I, I would not be at all surprised. I think there's some promise here. We're going to be, we're going to remember this, you know, recruit that came out of nowhere, I think, at some point.
1: It could be the Oak Hill effect, right? The fact that they play a really, really star studded schedule every yeah. single year, and he's going up against top competition every year. That's going to help him. If he's playing in some random high school in some random state against random competition, his stats are through the roof. And probably he shoots up because people go, oh, my God, who is the seven foot one dude just destroying everybody? But he doesn't have that opportunity at Oak okay, Hill. Well, he gets destroyed on some nights, too, because he's they're playing that type of talent where every, every school they play has multiple D1 recruits on the team. So I think that's going to help him not, again, not be blinded by the lights when he comes to Cameron and being able to just sit there and work on his game, which I think is going to be terrific. Uh, I think that's enough for the recruits. We do, as I mentioned, have a couple more basketball games that are coming up this week against Appalachian State and Cleveland State, so we want to preview both of those teams. But first, let's pause for this quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try
1: and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Duke Roundup. All right, we are back, and the week of the states continues with two more games this week. First, on Thursday night, Duke will host the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Then they will turn around less than 48 hours later with a late Saturday afternoon game against the Cleveland State Vikings, which will be Duke's final game of the non-conference part of the schedule. Because these games are so close together, we're going to preview both opponents, and then we'll kind of discuss what we want to see from Duke in both games. So, Jason... Let's start with the Thursday game. What can we expect
2: from the Mountaineers of App State? So this is a team that's rated number 174 in Ken Palm. Um, they're pretty equally you know, okay, but not that great on offense and defense. Um, unlike South Carolina State, I think this should be noted right off the top. South Carolina State played really fast. Unlike South Carolina State, App State plays really slow. They average 65 possessions per game. You may recall I said the, uh, the Dukes game against South Carolina State had 79 possessions. Uh, App State, 65 possessions per game, 325th in the country in terms of their pace of play. This is a team that's going to play slowly. On defense, they're a weird contrast. Get this. They're awful at blocking shots. And as a result of that, their opponents hit almost 60% of their two-point shots, which is terrible. I mean, basically, it feels like they are just sitting there and letting you take whatever shot you want in the half court. But perhaps because they don't really try to block shots, this is a great defensive rebounding team, this App State team. Get this. They're the 13th best defensive rebounding team in the country. Just shocking that a team like this could be 13th best at defensive rebounding in the entire land. And, and it isn't because they're like a great rebounding team because on offensive rebounding, they're, they're, they're like 276. It's really just that this is a team that focuses on giving you only one shot. Um, in terms of on offense, they're not, a, they're not a good three-point shooting team. They hit about 31%. Um, they do a really good job, though, of holding their opponents from shooting threes. Uh, their opponents, the App State opponents, hit less than 30% of their three-pointers. Um, and, and here's the story on them. Really experienced, and, and you're going to hear me talk about this with Cleveland State as well. Uh, they, uh, of their five starters, uh, four of them are seniors. One is a junior. Their best player is a six three guard, Adrian Delph. Scores about 16 points per game. Grabs nearly six rebounds per game. Um, he, he shoots about 40% from three. He's really the guy um, who, who is a, a threat from the outside. I suspect we're going to see a good bit of Wendell Moore on him. Uh, just his profile as a player feels like it fits with what Wendell is going to try to counteract um uh app state hasn't played anyone in the top 100 in ken palm so it's hard to say you know how they match up against a team the quality of duke Uh, the best teams they've played are vermont iowa and Furman, and they lost each of those games those are each teams right around 100 um in in the ken pomeroy rankings the best team they've beaten is east tennessee state and akron uh you know just not exactly power five kind of opponents in fact They, they really, it's been a long time since they played a power five, you know, like a team, a legit team. I say power five, power six. Um, Last year they played Tennessee and got blown out by 60. They played Auburn last year, um, who, uh, who was not very good for Auburn. Auburn's considerably better this year than they were last year, but it's just been a long time since App State has played someone with anywhere close to the quality of Duke. It's worth noting that they did, App State did make the NCAA tournament last year. But they were a 16 seed and they played in the play-in game and they were knocked out by fellow 16 seed Norfolk State. So it's just been forever since App State has played someone like Duke, someone even in the area code of Duke. Uh, and I think that that step up in quality may be a real, real huge challenge for App State. I think the
1: key here, uh, as you mentioned, Jason, was uh, Delph. you know, Delft being the only guy that averages over 10 points per game for them. I think it's a great shot to have Wendell Moore be put on him to at least to start the game, to kind of take the game away from his hands and, you know, make other guys try to beat you on the ball. But uh, I do think the one thing about app state that I will say they've tried to do is try to win by attrition. Uh, they throw 11 guys out there. They have 11 guys that average more than 10 minutes per game. So their, their is to try and tire out the other team that may have a shorter bench. Uh, but for us, I think if we can, if, if Theo John's back in this game, Problems If Theo John is not able to go for this game, still problems for App State because of the fact that we do have guys that can withstand that pressure and are used to playing 35, 40 minutes. But I do, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, and and obviously anytime Duke plays one of these non-Power 5 opponents, size matters. And um, App State has some decent size. They aren't as small as Cleveland State. I'll get to Cleveland State in a moment. Um, But but that's going to be a huge key to this game. I, I mentioned the rebounding, especially the defensive rebounding. If Duke is getting second shots, App State has no chance in this game. It, it'll it, it it you know it could turn into a blowout very quickly if Duke is getting second shots because that's sort of the one thing that App State you know can rely on is usually not giving up second chance points.
1: Yeah, and speaking of Cleveland State, let's just move to the game on Saturday uh, again. Cleveland State Vikings. It's a 4 p.m. tip-off, so late afternoon, uh, less than 48 hours after. The Appalachian State game. So, Jason, what can you tell us about the Vikings?
2: I will tell you. You may recall this. Folks may remember when we previewed the schedule at the, you know, in the off season. Uh, I circled this game, um, Cleveland State. I really think is a, a, a is a team that that Duke cannot overlook, and and I'm bothered that we're playing them so close to App State. I, I don't think we're going to have proper time to prepare for Cleveland State. And, and to be rested and ready, especially if Theo John is not playing and our bench is a little bit shorter as a result. Um, they, they are a legit team. They're only ranked 150 by Ken Pomeroy, but this team is probably – they're the favorite to win the Horizon and to make the NCAA tourney, which, which they did last year. And by the way, they were a number 12 seed. You do not mess around with number 12 seeds. Number 12 seeds are dangerous. They are traditionally the kind of team that, that upsets the big boy and and that's what cleveland state is all about. They are easily, hands down, get ready for this man. The most experienced team we're going to play all year. They have seven guys on this team who average more than 15 minutes per game. Every single one of those seven guys is a senior and multiples of them are fifth year seniors. You know, guys who are getting that extra year of eligibility or have been around for one, you know, one reason or another in their fifth year. This is duke playing men. Uh, if if Cleveland State wins this game. They're going to go out and have drinks, and they'll all be allowed to show their ID. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be no cheating to get the drinks from Cleveland State. Um, A a little more about them in terms of their style of play and such. They're a bad three-point shooting team. Hit less than 32% of their threes. The only guy who shoots many threes at all um, is guard uh, DeMoy Hodge. Um, He hits them only at a 28% rate, but he's like the only guy on the team who who takes – Many threes at all. Um, uh, they they take they're among the uh, you know fewest number of three point field goal attempts of any team in Division One. They they know what they want to do and they don't want to take three pointers. Um, they are really intense, obviously, on working the ball for a good shot. They hit better than fifty three percent of their two point shots. They don't turn the ball over very much. You know, like you tell me, we're playing a bunch of old men. Old man basketball is make good passes, hold on to the ball, and take shots that you know you can make, and that's what Cleveland State does. Um, they are a poor rebounding team, especially on the defensive glass. They give up far too many offensive rebounds. Um, they're good at getting steals, but um, the the reason they're a poor rebounding team, I, I, I hinted at this, is their size. They got one player, um, center Deontay Johnson, who's six nine, but everyone else in this team, everyone else who plays, is like six four, maybe six five. And uh, you know Paulo Banquero is going to have six inches on whoever is guarding him throughout this entire game. They, they literally there is no one else on this team who's going to get any meaningful minutes who's over six five. Um, they haven't beaten in terms of their opponents; haven't beaten anyone of note. Their their best win is against Wright State, but unlike South Carolina, uh, sorry, un- unlike Appalachian State, they have played some legitimate teams. They played BYU and they played Oklahoma State, and both of those games. But first of all, both those teams, very legit teams, good teams. BYU's top 25. Oklahoma State's in the Big 12. Um, And in both of those games, it was really competitive. Against BYU, it was a two-point game with four minutes left. And and then BYU opened it up a little bit and ended up winning by 10. But, hey, two-point game under five, that was a super competitive game. Against Oklahoma State, it went to overtime. And Cleveland State, by the way, was leading by two when Oklahoma state hit a layup in the final second or two to tie the game and regulation and send it to overtime uh, again, Cleveland state lost in overtime, but that was going to be a big win for them. That was going to be a signature kind of win. Um, and, and they just barely missed it against Oklahoma state. It was just a few days ago that that happened. And uh, you know, they, they, they need signature wins like that for their NCA resume. And if you want to talk about signature wins, Cleveland state's looking to put their John Hancock on Duke and, and I'll tell you right now, I don't expect Cleveland state to win, but I do expect this to be a far more competitive game than I think most Duke fans are anticipating.
1: Yeah. And you know, Cleveland state is just a few years removed from like, you know, three out of four seasons. They were, they started out the season like 17 and zero or something like that, or 17 and one they've had, I mean, these guys, the good success. program. Yeah. Yeah. They know success. And and these guys aren't scared of playing big teams. and And that's probably why they're coming to Cameron. So, that's something to look out for when it comes to Cleveland state is these guys know how to play. They've experienced big wins before. This would just be another one, uh, another big win for them. If they, if they do it, not as not as signature win of the program, but for this year, absolutely. It would be a big, big win. If Cleveland state could pull off the upside in Cameron, and that's what they're looking for. I will say on a personal note for the app state game for listeners, I will be down there. I have tickets to the game on Thursday. So hopefully I will bump into some of you there, I'm looking forward to getting back down there. It's the first time since that Miami game back in 2020, right before this whole pandemic started, that I have been in Cameron uh, for a basketball game. So I'm looking forward to that. I might be at Devil's Brew House. You may you may find me. You may not. But I'm just saying I will be at the game on Thursday and uh, hope to see some of you there. Before we get out of here, I want to give a shout out to the Duke women's basketball team because right now they have a they're pretty good. I wouldn't say they're actually really good. They're eight and no in the season. They're number 15 in the country. And tonight, as we record on Wednesday, they have a huge game against number one, South Carolina. So those of you that's in Cameron. So those of you who are in Durham, make your way to Cameron tonight to cheer on the women. It's a major test for them. And it should be an incredible game. They've been killing it this year. And even though I got mad love and respect for Dawn Staley and what she has done with the South Carolina Care loss is my girl. We're going to get a signature win against the number one team, and tonight I need everyone who's in Durham to cheer on in my absence. And I'll see you guys on Thursday.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a huge game for this team to test what they can be. Um, uh, they they already beat the top ten team in Iowa, and they beat Iowa really comfortably. But South Carolina that's a different level, and I I, I don't think anyone expects Duke to win but I really want this team to be competitive. Um, And and I I just think it's such a great, it's a great thing that, that Kara Lawson has turned this into a a really competitive team that Duke fans can be very, very proud of again. And she's done it uh, way quicker. I think than any of us would have anticipated. She's done it by hitting the transfer portal really, really well. Um, And, and they have, they have a lot of different players, you know, they got a lot of different players who lead them in scoring and rebounding and the such. This is not like, oh, we found one or two stars and, and that's how we're getting it done. Um, it, it's it's that they have a variety of players who can impact the game for them. They're playing a lot of players, you know, and uh, it, it's exciting. It's really exciting to see. And, and I'll be watching tonight when they play South Carolina. That's a big time opponent. Don't be if you haven't seen the Duke women play this year, if they struggle in this game, don't be disappointed cause you're playing the best team in the country. It probably almost certainly. Um, but this is a team on the rise and, and and it's great for, for, for Duke to have the Duke women back where they belonged as, uh, as one of the really competitive teams in the country.
1: And honestly doing it early. I mean, she hit the transfer portal really hard in the off season. Kara Lawson did. Uh, we didn't really have a season last year because of COVID they only played four games. So this in earnest is Kara Lawson's first year. And to do it with, You know, a good recruiting class, but also a really awesome transfer portal recruiting class, if you will, has been great. Um, It's just awesome to watch them play. I've seen a couple of their games uh, so far this season, and it's been really fun to watch them play because they clearly are are getting it and they're buying into Kara Lawson's mentality. All those, you know, motivational speeches that you'll see on Twitter from Kara Lawson is just one piece of the puzzle. She really has built a program that is worthy of being on this moment on this stage to play against the number one team in the country. So 7 PM tonight on the East coast, ACC network tune in if you are not in Durham, but if you are in Durham, definitely make your way to camera.
2: And, and look, it's early. Uh, no one's written this in, in pen, but in pencil right now on all the uh, coach of the year awards, Carol Lawson's name is right there at the moment. Um, you know, things can change, but uh, it, it, at this point, it would be a, a bit of a surprise if Kara Lawson is not the NCAA Women's Coach of the Year this year. Um, so so props to her, like you said. Uh, and, and it's exciting. I really hope that that our folks will go out there and, and and watch the game and support this team. She ain't
1: lost yet in 2021. I like those odds. And I'm not just talking about Duke women's basketball. We have a gold medal three-by-three three women's basketball team from the USA, and she was a coach of two. So 2021 has been great to her. Let's hope that continues. But for now, that will conclude... Episode 368 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. As we mentioned, we'll be back towards the end of the weekend to recap the App State and Cleveland State games. Sam will be back as well. So until then, continue to like, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to them. We're also getting a ton of great emails, so hit us up at Podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from all of you out there, uh, and we really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. So for Jason Evans, I'm Donald Blind. This is episode 368, and now it is time for the Duke Band to take us on.
2: And uh, and, and I'm also mentioning in the bad uh, Wendell Moore. Okay. Just to be fair. Yeah, you know, that, that, that was the, Wendell's worst the, game of the year. The fact that he
1: didn't have an assist he did nothing yeah <laughs> that was his worst game of the year you know uh, shows you how good Every, everyone has one yeah everybody hurts I believe R.E.M. said that sometimes sometimes
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank God Sam is not here because we would be talking forever <laughs> <laughs> the two of us are going would, for like 40 minutes I,
1: yeah i would i would reel it in i'd be like all right yeah. i'm just gonna i'll be the point guard. i'll be the jeremy roach of this just distribute
2: the conversation then i'm like that was great next